All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. This is the Teacher Talking Time Podcast. But what, but what is completely mistaken is to suppose that you can present English in the same way as you present geography or, 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 or human biology. Right. That is not the way people learn languages, and it is inefficacious. It doesn't bloody work. Right. And what does work is involving people in doing things, and that's why... Um, we make this distinction between synthetic syllabuses and analytic syllabuses. Synthetic syllabuses are what course books use. They cut the language up into bits. They treat it as an object of study. First, we'll do the present tense. Then we'll do personal pronouns. Then we'll do colors. And that's why course book uh, based learning is so uh, inefficacious and why right. Out of the more than one and a half billion people learning English at the moment, 78 and 83% of them don't reach their object. They fail. It is mm. the worst taught subject in a school curriculum, and it is it's, it's theft. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teacher Talking Time podcast. To those of you who are new, each episode of our podcast is devoted to bringing the most recent, most innovative, and most insightful research applications into teacher education, language teaching, and language education. And if you are also new to our Learn Your English community, I have to tell you more about our new Teacher Accelerator program, which is our online program for teachers all around the world who want to eliminate lesson planning, reach and help more students, teach less, earn more money without, of course, sacrificing work-life balance. Our programs help teachers reflect and develop in the most important skills they need to succeed in the information age. And it's just like your teaching isn't for everyone. Our program isn't for everyone. It's for someone. The program has four pillars of successful design. We have a community. We have live sessions. We have self-paced learning. And more importantly, we have lots, lots of feedback. Does this sound like you? Are you a teacher who wants to implement dogme and task-based learning in your teaching? Do you want to eliminate lesson planning? Do you want to help more students, but also work less? Do you want to transition from selling your time, teaching one-to-one, -to, -one, to actually focusing on outcomes and selling results? Do you want to be a business owner and not an employee? And more importantly, do you want to build and scale your teaching business? If this sounds like you, then you have a great opportunity here. Just head over to our website, learnyourenglish.net slash schedule and book a meeting with us. We would love to have a conversation about your current situation and whether we can help you with any of these things. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of our Teacher Talking Time podcast. 
Today, we have a very special guest, someone who has made a significant contribution to the world of English language teaching and has a lot of experience to share with us. He is a seasoned expert in English language teaching who has called Spain home since 1981. His name, Jeff Jordan. Jeff spent nearly three decades at ESAD in Barcelona, where he wore multiple hats from language teacher to director of studies. Since 2004, Jeff has been a freelancer involved in contributing to various educational endeavors. His work includes conducting English immersion courses at home, serving as a tutor to postdoctoral students at the Universitat Politecnica de Barcelona, and being an associate tutor in the distance learning MA in Applied Linguistics and TESO program at Leicester University. He's also mentored PhD students at the University of Wales, Trinity and San David, and he also co-directs a task-based language teaching training course with Neil Macmillan for the SLB Cooperative in Barcelona. Jeff's academic interests are vast, spinning theories of SLA, psycholinguistics, teaching practice, and computational linguistics. When he's not immersed in the world of academia, Jeff indulges in his hobbies, which include playing chess, listening to the tunes of Dylan, Charlie Parker, and Bach, and of course, taking strolls in the forest with his dogs and donkeys, and admiring his wife gardening skills. Without further ado, let's dive into our conversation with Jeff Jordan. Uh, well, I'm here today, ladies and gentlemen, with uh, Mr. Jeff Jordan, a legend of English language teaching. And I am nothing short of thrilled to have Jordan here with us. And uh, I've, we've been reading his Twitter quotes, his fights that he p that picks up on Twitter sometimes, his um, way of looking at language teaching and how we should really change the way we do things in English language teaching. So very excited. So first of all, I wanted to thank you, Jeff, for taking the time to come to the show and, and to actually do this interview with us. And uh, I thought pleasure. we would start right from the beginning with you. A real pleasure. Nice to be with you. Um, so, Jeff, um, I, I was looking, I was doing some research on you. And I mean, you have a very interesting, not interesting, I think of one of the best and most insightful um, blogs in the blog sphere, which again, I think blogs are kind of dying and so is Twitter. So we need to find a place to still have your voice heard. So this is why we decided to invite you to come here on the podcast. And I know that you've had a long and, and varied career in the field of English uh, language teaching, from, of course, being a language teacher to becoming the director of studies at ESAD in Barcelona. So I was wondering, and you've been living in Spain since 1981, so I'm wondering if you could share some key moments, some, some interesting experiences, and things that have shaped your career so far. Ah, yes. It's a... <laughs> How long have you got? <laughs> no, um, the thing is, I started um, at the LSE in the 1960s, and I was fairly serious academic. I studied with Karl Popper, uh, and I was interested in the philosophy of science. Um, but I got involved in radical politics in the LSE, and I was involved in 1968 in the big upheavals there. And they actually uh, banned me from the university. 
for my participation in the um, in the disturbances. Really? Yeah. So I was kind of chucked out just as I was about to start my um, doctorate with Popper in um, in scientific method. Um, and uh, it got actually quite hot. Uh, the cops were after me. The, the secret, the, the, the <laughs> <laughs> they thought I was a member of the Angry Brigade and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and it got so hot that I actually uh, left England. I was advised <laughs> um, to get out for a while. So I went um, to first Yugoslavia and then I went to Spain, and that's where I. Um, uh, started work as a language teacher. I abandoned my academic tensions and just uh, had a tremendous fun as a language teacher. I don't mean to belittle it as a profession. It's a marvelous profession, but uh, I have to confess that I, like lots of people in the 1970s and 80s, um, took advantage of the fact that we were native speakers to, to just sort of start teaching English without really knowing what we were doing. The glory of it was that we just happened to coincide with the explosion of communicative language teaching, that huge burst of activity in the late 1970s, early 1980s. So I um, started with a marvelous school, Isadi Idiomas. Um, and after a few years teaching there, I, I actually became director of studies and uh, um, probably terrible mistake on their part. I couldn't organize a piss up in a brewery. But in any case, uh, it was. Um, and I was in charge of 60 teachers or more. And we had a marvelous time. We, we did some terrific stuff. Um, and then we started um, a, a master. We decided that the, the, the teachers uh, um, training would be better done through a master's program. So we got in with um, the Institute of Education, which was then run by um, by Widdison, uh, well, no, Widdison mostly, but also Skiam was there, Guy Cook was there, um, and we organized a master's with them, which we ran partly in Barcelona at a summer school and partly in London. Um, and then from there, I, Widdison actually uh, persuaded me to do a doctorate. So I did a doctorate and so, so I got back into academia and started working for various universities. Um, I was also doing um, immersion courses in this marvelous mm -hmm. house we had, um, which was right in the country. It was a sort of hermetically sealed English environment. So I was doing some of that. Um, but I was mostly going, getting back into academia. I wrote a book on um, fairly complicated uh, on SLA. Um, slight, w w that's when Mike Long and I started collaborating. Um, and after that, um, I uh, started to work with um, Neil um, McMillan, who runs an SLB cooperative. Right. Uh, did some work with task-based language teaching with him. So that's really it. I started out as a language teacher as a refugee almost, you know, mm. running away from uh, police who were pretty keen to chuck me in prison. Um, and um, after that, <laughs> um, developed um, 
you know, an interest in, in, the, in the more academic side of second language acquisition, basically, mm -hmm. um, uh, and then got more into it. And from that, I developed with Mike Long um, a particular um, analysis, let's say, of current ES, uh, ELT, which, in our opinion, is uh, course book based and um, a cop out to uh, commercial interest. So we see ELT today as a multi million uh, business where right. profit um, takes uh, priority over uh, efficacious teaching um, and where most people lose out. Uh, and and uh, we call it um, course based um, language teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a kind of um, hydra right. of. We will talk about the Hydra for sure. I'm, I'm wondering if you could maybe kind of go back in time mm -hmm. and maybe see if you're if you're able to provide us with a, a little a little glimpse of what young Jeff Jordan was like in the classroom. How would you describe yourself as well, a teacher? Well, I was um, as crazy as the rest of them, and it was wonderful. Um, what what we really didn't do was teach grammar, right? Um, we were absolutely ginger keen. I can't tell you what the staff is. The only good staff room I've ever been in my life, and I include university staff, it was buzzing. All of us were, some of us doing silent ways, some of us were doing all sorts of weird stuff, but none of us <laughs> uh, <laughs> believed in in teaching the language as an object of study. We all right. were firmly committed to a communicative language approach where what we did was think that the important thing is to emphasize um, you know, the, the message. We're, we're interested in meaning and not in talking about the language. We're interested in... right. So what I did as a young teacher was to go in there um, no uh, course book, no bollocks. Uh, just go in there, decide what they're... They were all actually rather well-off, um, mm -hmm. upper-class of um, uh, business people. Um, and um, so there was a kind of um, entrepreneurial spirit about it. They were very interested in talking about economics and stuff like that but they're also quite interested in talking about you know social justice and political right. stuff and, and catalan independence um and all they really wanted to do was get a bloody handle on the damn thing you know to feel not quite so stupid when they when they when they were were in situations where they had to use english right. and we really very quickly established ourselves with a tremendous reputation for being able to actually help people. You know, um, we, we just didn't teach grammar. We didn't go in there and talk about the bloody present perfect. We went <laughs> in there and talked to them about what they were interested in and helped them help them with it, you know, right. one way or another. And we really, we were mustard keen. They were mustard keen. And the results were tremendous. Um, they actually felt that they were able to go into whatever situation they found themselves in and not speak perfect English or even pass an exam particularly well, 
but mm -hmm. at least defend themselves without feeling outrightly ridiculous. A certain amount of confidence, a certain amount of ability, uh, a certain amount of what we call today communicative competence. So that's right. what we did. Um, and then uh, it was all blown away. It was all marvellous. We had every bloody, everybody, we had fans low, we had uh, all the best people, Ben Bellucci, they all came over to Barcelona. It was such a fun place to be. Right, right. We were paid better than anybody else to come um, to give us courses. All the teachers we had a tremendous um, program of language teaching development, um, and and a whole thing was how can we get these people? How can we help them to communicate? And, and it was all revolved around um, that. You know, honestly, right. we did not teach the bloody, we did not treat the language as an object. We treated them as a focus. We asked them what they wanted to do. And then right. we helped them as well as we could to do it in lots of different ways. But that that was it. And it all got blown away as soon as uh, the, 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 the course books arrived. And the so Headway I, Revolution. I remember Headway, when was it? 1989 80. or 1990. Yeah, like late Whatever 90s. it was, that was a death toll. That was it. <laughs> Here came this pure, beautiful, wrapped up, perfect, bloody product. You know, this <laughs> this 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 kind of apotheosis of uh, <laughs> of, uh, of commercialized, you know, uh, English. Here it is, bomb the the course book. Start at page one, open up. Put them in pairs and say, what's your name? Point to the picture and say, is this a boy or a girl? What's his name? Uh, is that a dog or a cat? And so on, you know, and that was the end of it. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And our school went down the bloody drain. I resigned. I just, I can't do this. I'm not interested in oh, this. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I just left. I don't, you know, to okay. Um, and a lot of other people walked away. The, the 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 director himself said, "I, you know, this is rubbish. I'm out of here." Um, and and uh, you know, we all moved on uh, elsewhere in in various ways. Uh, and right. and those that didn't, of course, thought the bloody course book was wonderful. They, you know, it was terrific. You know, what, what day is it? Wednesday. Oh, we must be on page eighteen. Right. You know, it, was, it was, you know, it is. It's just the most perfect example of packaged, you know, how can we sell? You know, this is it. it. You know, that's all you need. All, right. all the chaos we used to have. We used to have cupboards full of photocopies and bits and pieces and and tapes and 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 and, and VCR recordings and all this right. all together. No, no, no. All you need is, you know, a copy of the bloody book. And, and that's it. You've done it. And, and of course, it then got completely integrated with the CFO, with the, um, you know, the, the, the A, A1s and C2 CFRs. We'll talk about that. I want to I get your take on that as well. Yeah. But so, you, so, yeah. you've mentioned something um, that I wanted to touch on because I know you have you've mentioned um Harry Whittleson who was heading the team there and I yeah. think you mentioned that you had courses run by Philip Riley, David Noonan, Peter Skeen, George Yule 
read yeah. one of his grammar books. Great, great exploring grammar. I think that's the name of his yeah. book. Yeah. Um, John Fancelow, Earl Stevick. I didn't know you 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 actually met Earl Stevick, which is well, fantastic. Stevick was uh, a real fan of the boss. He and the boss, really, uh, my boss, Pat Mills, love got on so well, and I got on terribly well with Earl too. I wrote to him a couple, a few times. I, I helped him with a few. I've got a letter from him that says, "Hey Jeff, getting your uh, letters is rather like going to the dentist. Very painful, but uh, necessary." And I used to say, "Oh, you're talking shit, man. This is not it." But I mean, you know, that guy, that guy was just a tremendous. I mean, I agree with um, with um, uh, what's his name, Scott. Uh, Earl was just terrific and uh, inspirational. You know, yeah. he 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 wasn't an academic. He didn't really no. know stuff terribly well, but he was a brilliant. Uh, Away in Ways is a lovely book um, describing all the you know. Yeah, sort of really, it's this one right here. Teaching and learning languages. It's a, it's yeah, a great yeah. book. Yeah. And it's so you me. worked with all these people, um, Jeff. Even yeah, I worked with yeah, Witterson, um, I love Lord Henry. He's, a, he's he, I don't know if you've ever been out with him. He's very tall. He's about, I don't know, six foot six or six foot eight. Or something. It's really amusing to go with him to places. Right. So, <laughs> you, so you were surrounded by all these amazing scholars, amazing practitioners. So right. who who else like who would you say really influenced your views on education? What particular uh, authors or scholars were you drawn to? Who really shaped your views on language teaching and language education in general? Yeah, yeah. I'd say as far as teaching in in the early uh, days when certainly. Um, Fanslow and Earl Stevick were the two huge influences on us. Right. Um, it, it, from a more intellectual, more academic point of view, certainly the biggest influence on me has been Mike Long. Mike Long and I got on terribly well as soon as we met. Um, and I think he is one of the very best um, scholars. I'm also. And do, you, do you remember uh, when I, you guys I, met? Yes, we met in uh, Barcelona. He came to give a course in our summer institute. Right. Um, and um, I remember David Noonan was there too. Uh, I, I got on very well with Noonan for a while. I mean, you know, Noonan, um, I met him on a plane where he was a complete workaholic um, and a <laughs> multi-millionaire. Um, and he was on this plane, you know, first class, of course, and I was, you know, in bloody hanging on to the back seat of the economy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did, yeah. yeah, I think it's Jeff George back there. Tell him to come up, you know, so I came up and immediately down <laughs> about six bottles of cava. Anyway, um, I said, what the fuck are you doing? And he said, um, I, he just bought his, 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 his Late son, his early son was of 18. He bought him a Ferrari, half a million for a bloody Ferrari, because he couldn't think, he said, I couldn't think of anything else to get him. 
So this is this is just enormously. I mean, actually, the funny thing about Noonan is he had a damn good brain on him. His early stuff was very good indeed. He later sold himself completely like Jack Richards. Jack Richards ended up brain dead, but he was still making millions, millions. Mm -hmm. Man was making. Last time he came to Barcelona, I saw him and he had, he had a big bulge in his pocket. I said, "What's that?" He said, I just bought this in, uh, he went somewhere in Barcelona and it cost 330,000 pounds for a little Ming thing he did. I mean, it was just wow. ridiculous. These people were enormously rich. Uh, right. John Richards, uh, Noonan, all these people uh, started out, but not Richards, was never a terribly serious scholar, but Noonan was a bloody good scholar. Excellent, excellent. Uh, very, very good early writing. The stuff he did before that, right? Eighty-five was superb. So he was a big influence on me. Peter Skeen, I always loved, uh, and I right. did my uh, masters and then my PhD with Skeen. Skeen wasn't my supervisor, but Henry mm. and Peter were there together, and we used to talk right. a lot. So they were big influences on me. Um, uh, but Mike was certainly, Mike and Kevin Gregg, Kevin okay. Gregg was Mike's friend. I wrote an article with Kevin Gregg and also William O'Grady is another one who I have tremendous respect for. Right. So those, those were the kind of guys, they were psych psycholinguistics and I was very much against the move towards um, sociolinguistics and all that postmodernist nonsense that people came out with. Let's talk about Mike Mike Long because yeah, yeah. you have co-authored a book with him, English Language Teaching Now and How It Could Be. And right. as far as I know, I haven't read the book. I got a hold of um, like a, a few sample pages and I read those sample pages and I've seen you talk about it on Twitter. Let's yeah. dive into the book so people yeah. can actually feel the, yeah. the urge yeah. to buy it. So from my understanding, the book is critically examining the current state of English language teaching, and it's arguing that it's increasing, it's increasing commercialization has led to what you call subpar teaching, lackluster materials, and more importantly, inadequate second language teaching education. The book yes. also discusses recent developments in knowledge about second language and foreign language learning. And of course, their implications for language teaching. But before we jump right into the book, I'd love to speak to you or to hear you speak more accurately about the writing process. Like, what did that look like for you? Because I know you were co-authoring the book with Mike Long. So perhaps you could you could tell us yeah. more about that. Uh, well, um, Mike was a, a bloody tyrant, actually. I mean, <laughs> um, he... Well, he was so critical. Um, he really was. Um, you know, I used to write stuff, um, and he'd write back, you know, what the fuck? You know, three-year-old could have done better than this. So, you know, get your shit together. Or, you know, I mean, I, um, he was extraordinarily demanding. And, and the other thing about Mike was he had this ex incredible ability to... Um, quote uh, references, you know, this guy, when talking to you, you know, I mean, I could do it if I've got you know, Google in front of me or, or a bibliography, but he actually had it in his bloody head. 
uh, he's extraordinarily well read um, and very thorough. That guy, I must say, I think he has probably, you know, he's terribly generous. I mean, he had a lot of enemies because he didn't suffer fools gladly. You know, if he didn't think much of the way he would, he'd tell you mm. very, very straight. And I, his his remarks to me were always um, jovial. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I somehow had to remind myself. <laughs> but anyway, um, the the process was this: um, the first six chapters of the book give, um, I think, a very good condensed view of um, Mike's uh, take on second language acquisition theory. Right. Uh, in fact, we divided ways at the, the end of his life, and then we never had time to really resolve it. Um, but for most of the way, we were together on it. Um, psycholinguistics, um, interactionist uh, process approach. He finally went over with Nick Ellis to a sort of emergentist view, <clears throat> which I never, I, 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 I never bollocks. Um, but um, and and I'm sure he doesn't really. I, I, I said, you, you know, you're kidding me. You don't. You, you don't. And and what's more, Kevin Gregg always said, nah, nah. I mean, is he, you know, and it, but in any case, um, the first six chapters of the book were a very good, rather dry. He wasn't the most entertaining um, uh, writer. And that's why he liked me, because I could kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> I tell you, if you read the book, nobody's had much trouble. Uh, deciding who wrote which chapter <laughs> is pretty damn obvious, apart apart from the fact that I'm not allowed to swear in the book. Um, right. In any case, um, it's essentially the first six chapters um, outline a view of how we learn. This is the thesis. <clears throat> in order to teach languages, you have to appreciate how they learn because they're not learned in the same way that most subjects in a school curriculum are learned. They're not learned in the same way as you learn geography and maths and history and most other subjects. Um, why? Because there's this enormous distinction between uh, declarative and procedural knowledge. Um, in most subjects, um, the declarative knowledge, which is kind of things that you can declare, things you know right. about, Things you can say. Paris is the capital of France, and and uh, the knee is uh, something that joins the upper and blah blah. Right. Well, um, as we know, language learning is not like that. Um, it's not a question of the, the declarative knowledge. Really, is not prime. What's really important is procedural knowledge, and you don't get procedural knowledge necessarily, or even usually. Uh, by learning about the language. You get it by doing it. Um, right. Learning a language is learning by doing, um, which doesn't mean, as some people think, that it's the same as learning how to swim. It isn't. But then in case, yeah. And what do you mean by, uh, perhaps you could expand on this, learning by doing, as opposed to learning about the language. So you're learning yes. in the language, you're not learning yes, about the language. On, you're focused on meaning, not on form. That's right. really the thing. When you, 
if you go to a line, if you go to a foreign country and you, you work there, like millions have had to do, you'll pick the language up and you'll learn it, not by studying the grammar, not by somebody explaining to you the difference between, I don't know, a present a, perfect and simple past. Yeah. Some yeah. Rubbish. Um, you learn it by by doing it, by by and and one of um, the big things there that Mike was very influential is what what he called the negotiation of meaning. So that you when you're when you're with an interlocutor, it's a bit like Mother Eve, you know that you make you, you compensate for each other and 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 the the, the nature the, one of you that's the one that knows the if it, let's say the target is is, is English. Mm -hmm. um, we'll we'll say something, and the other one will 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 try and clarify. Uh, negotiate. Uh, do you mean? Uh, I'm sorry, and so on. And that's the kind of way. Um, that's one thing. You do it by negotiating. Meaning, you do it by interacting. You do it. You do it mm -hmm. by talking and listening. You do it now. From a psycholinguistic perspective. Um, you interpret input, and the input that comes into you needs to be at a certain level. Um, this is not to exactly uh, agree with Krashen's sort of the trouble with Krashen's that input. He never said what I plus one was exactly. Was a construct, and it could mean anything. But we know that it is the case that it's by um, Interlanguage is a is is a mental process of slowly developing an understanding of how the target language works, and it is unconscious. It is implicit. It's not something you can explain explicitly any more than an English native speaker can explain the 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 the, the order of adjectives, for example. Right. You know, it's just something you. It, it is not. A question of conscious knowledge. It's unconscious. Right. You you learn by doing. It's unconscious. You don't know you're doing it. You're focused on meaning. Now, occasionally, of course, you can switch to to conscious learning. You can ah, oh, I see. Oh God, right, got it. That that happens. That's certain of the case. And certainly, a certain amount of interference recast. Corrections, help, scaffolding, all that sort of stuff that can help. It can help by um, by increasing the rate of development of the interlanguage. This is the big thing um, SLA people agree on. You can't affect the root of interlanguage development, but you can affect the rate. In right. other words, good teaching can help you go there much faster. If you go to a good teacher and you get the right stuff, you can get, you know, good at what you need to do a damn sight faster than you can if you just um, if if you're immersed, and that's the value of of of, of um, explicit attention to bits and pieces of the grammar. But what but what is completely mistaken is to suppose that you can present. English in the same way as you present geography or or, or, or human biology, right. we'll start with the foot or we'll start with fucking Sicily or whatever you want. 
and then we'll you know and we'll build it up and you'll get the general picture that is not the way people learn languages and it is inefficacious it doesn't bloody work right and what does work is involving people in doing things and that's why um we make this distinction between synthetic syllabuses and analytic syllabuses synthetic syllabuses are what course books use they cut the language up into bits they treat it as an object of study first we'll do the present tense then we'll do personal pronouns then we'll do colors then right. we'll... <laughs> it's what uh thornbury uh wisely uh coined the term uh grammar mcnuggets right That's that you right. break wonderful yeah. bit i remember he was with uh I was with him and uh, Mike Long, the three of us, laughing our socks off in the back row of some ridiculous <laughs> talk that, um, what's his name, that awful man? Uh, never mind, it's free. Um, oh, God. We don't have to name names, it's okay. <laughs> approach, oh, God. Anyway. Oh, wait. Uh, what's his name? Um, Lewis, Michael Lewis. No, no, uh, Mike Lewis wasn't too bad. At least he, you know, he's halfway into it. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's true. But going well, back to the book, anyway, um, anyway, yeah. so so yeah, he he did the the lexical. Else is now terrible guys with this, but anyway, doesn't matter. I was with Mike and uh, and Scott, and Scott said, "Yeah, yeah, I did this." Oh, Mike said to him, "You did that." Uh, a very good thing about McNuggets, didn't you? You said it's a bit like McNuggets, and 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 Mike said, "I rather like the analogy of of when you when you go to the zoo and you see them feeling the seals, and the the zookeepers throw throw fish at the seals, and they go, hey, here is the present perfect catch, <laughs> and the seals are supposed to catch you fish and." and get it, you know, I mean, it's preposterous. You don't learn languages like that. You do not, it's just, it, you know, Bienemann's work, Porter's uh, uh, work, everybody's work said that is not the way it happens. Right. Um, and that's the way it is supposed to happen uh, if you use a course book. And that's why course book uh, based learning is so, uh, inefficacious and why right. out of the more than one and a half billion people learning English at the moment, 78 83% of them don't reach their object, they fail. It is mm. the worst taught subject in a school curriculum, and it is, uh, it, it is, it is, uh, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's appalling, it's, it's, it's appalling. sad, it's, it's, it's theft. By, Did you say seventy-eight percent don't reach their objective? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. There are there, there are lots of different studies done on you know, uh, and and the studies are uh, done of 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 those who have taken the courses. They're done. They're taken from British Council actually unwittingly. <laughs> uh, provide statistics for this of all places, yeah. As, 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 for example, the International House and other places like that, because they, what they do is they ask students at the end, you know, are you happy with what happened? And of course, the vast majority say, happy. <laughs> I'm dismayed. I can't, you know, <laughs> I've done 300 hours of your bloody courses, 
And when I go to London, I feel like an idiot when I walk into a pub. <laughs> I mean, it's atrocious. Uh, uh, by the way, I got, uh, you know, a C in the, in the, in the uh, Cambridge first certificate, and I'm 6.3 on the IELTS, which just shows how ridiculous they are. Right. You know, the whole thing is a, is a bloody circus. But but in your book, Jeff, oh, yeah, you, so you and, and Mike Long, you, you yeah. critique um, the current state of English language teaching, particularly it's what you call increasing commercialization. So I was wondering if you could perhaps elaborate on these specific issues that you see and how they actually impact both teachers and, and students. Yes. Well, a billion people doing courses of English, uh, more than a billion. And uh, as I've said, uh, the vast majority fail to reach their objectives. Um, and they fail because ELT is a multi-billion dollar commercial enterprise. It turns over more than $200 billion a year. Wow. And that's, that's the British Council's estimate. So the aim is to maximize profit, not to help people learn. And it, the industry itself, the ELT industry itself, is an interlocking hydra composing of publishers, teacher trainers, course providers, and examination boards. And all four heads of this hydra um, sell products. Right. Uh, course books, relative material, teacher training courses, courses of English, and exams. That's what they sell. Right. And they sell them in such a way that they actually, what they do is that they reify language teaching. Reification means changing abstract ideas into something real. So, for mm. example, proficiency is changed into the CEFR. Oh, I see what you mean. You I see what you mean. You are a three. I am a four. You right. are an a, a four. I'm a, I'm a B, and so on. So, the abstract ideal of language learning is changed into products for sale. Right. That's what reification is. And the products are courses, course books, CELTA, DELTA. All those CPD courses, right? Yeah. All that stuff, all right. the training and the exams. Right. The exams themselves are multi-billion you know, you do them every three months. They're, I mean, it's just absurd money-making machine. And the problem about it is that it's driven by a false idea mm. of what language learning is about. Right. What it is is it teaches students about the language. Right. It teaches them about the language, and this doesn't lead, because of the reasons we've right. already discussed, to an ability to use the LT. And that's the experience of billions of students who have been taught English from, for seven, eight, nine years. And yet when they find themselves confronted by a, you know, they go to London or, or somewhere, they find themselves incapable right. of using the language for any That's true. That so is very true. That's what our criticism is. Our criticism is it's completely inefficacious. It's, 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 shockingly inefficacious and why uh because it's not concerned with true educational values it mm -hmm. concerned with making money 
and the course book is a is a perfect product, and 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 the stuff that, and the exam is a perfect product. They put people on a linear scale from mm -hmm. one to ten. You're you're four. Do this course. Use this book, and then you'll be right. fine. And you know. It, it, it rides roughshod over what we know about language learning, and 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 it it's just regarded generally as as a pariah, the most ineffic inefficacious disgrace to research driven education. It's huh. it's, it's a mockery of good of good educational practice. And it's interesting because I, I think we, what you said right now, Jeff, is, is really important because. What these products, the foreheads of the Hydra, from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong here, basically they're wrongly assuming that knowing things about the second language, for example, as you said, forming the third person singular of the present terms of verbs, you know, that kind of thing. So they're basically wrongly assuming that this knowledge about the language will lead to the ability to use this knowledge for practical purposes. Is that basically it? That's it. That's mm. exactly it. Now, what happens is, um, in certain cases, particularly at the, if you're at a beginner level, um, it, a certain amount of explicit conscious uh, instruction um, helps enormously with, with vocabulary, mm -hmm. with, um, with, with collocations, with um, pronunciation, mm -hmm. even with simple rules of grammar. Um, you know, it can be helpful. It's not that it's good, but what's, what the problem is that if you spend, um, you know, um, all the studies that have been done on the way that language is taught, uh, using course books uh, throughout the world, um, the average time uh, that the teacher talks is is seventy three to seventy eight percent. Right. Um, there are very few examples of any student ever speaking continuously for more than a minute in any left you know that sort of stuff. Um, so. Most language, uh, second language teaching, uh, it shouldn't be called second language, there's enough of this actually. There should yeah. be additional. Additional, language. yeah. Uh, but anyway, mm -hmm. um, teaching English as a, as a foreign language, as an additional language, is mostly a question of teachers talking about the language to students. It right. is not about students using the language or doing things uh, in the language or doing things in the language, doing mm -hmm. tasks. And right. that, of course, is why we advocate uh, task-based language teaching. Right. And because it's interesting. There, yeah. The emphasis is on meaning. The emphasis is on using the language to express communicative purpose, meaning, and along the way through scaffolding and through uh, carefully designed mm -hmm. input, elaborated input, helping them with uh, uh, new vocabulary, new new um, new prefabricated language, yeah. new new all all of that stuff. Slowly, slowly, uh, the interlanguage develops, and they uh, they 
they, they grow more capable of expressing themselves in the way they need to. Right. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that, um, Jeff, because I was, when I was reading the sample of the book, the book is titled English Language Teaching Now and How It Could Be. So I'm, I think my question is on the second part of the book, the second part of the title, how it could be. Could you yeah. share some of your key recommendations for how English language teaching could actually be improved based on, you know, findings from second language acquisition, as long as we're doing something that is more um, informed and more yes. responsible, I guess. Yes. Um, use an analytic syllabus. Explain that to us. What's an analytic syllabus? It means one that doesn't cut the language up into bits and present and practice them. It treats the language holistically. Uh, and it um, two of the best examples these days of an analytic syllabus are either task-based language teaching or dogma. Uh, Scott and mm -hmm. uh, Maggie's idea. Luke Maggie's. Uh, of course, <clears throat> the idea is this, you, well, in the trouble with task-based language teaching is that there are weak and strong versions. Right. Um, and Long was very, very strict about this, uh, stricter than either Neil, Neil McMillan and I do a course on this now. Right, through um, SLB. Yeah. And we're... Um, much more lenient um, because we have to be in a way not not that we particularly disagree with Mike um, we, we agree with Mike that the ideal is a very strong version of TBLT that begins with uh, um, uh, needs analysis right but a certain kind of needs analysis, not the normal sort of needs analysis that you see in silly books. Mm -hmm. um, it, what Mike was talking about is target tasks. Right. And to, to, to a needs analysis based on target task means that you go out and you find out whoever the group of uh, students you have, you find out what they need to do. Right. So if they're, for example, hotel workers, or if they're architects, or if they're um, journalists. Uh, I think you gave the example once right. of Gilbert um, with yeah, yeah. Gilbert in, in the University of Barcelona. We're working with him. We're going to start a course next February, actually. That's exciting. Um, based on he did a marvelous course for for journalists, which we've written up. Uh, he's written up himself, uh, and Neil is now working with him on. So yes, journalists. Um, another very good one was done by Leon um, air traffic controllers. Mm. Um, that's so you you go there and you find out what they need to do with English, mm -hmm. and you do that by um, the first. You you don't talk to teachers; you talk to right. the domain experts. Right. So if you want to teach about law, you go and talk to the head of the law department. What does this guy have to do with? You know what? 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 Show me some of the. What does? Yeah. What does he need to be able to do yeah, in English? Yeah. 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 Uh, let me follow him around for a day, or let, show me where she uh, works and what, and so on and so on. So from that, you develop target tasks. This person, a journalist, for example, in Gilbert's case, needs to get in touch with 
arrange and then do an interview with, right. with a certain person. What does that involve? Um, and from that's the start of the syllabus. You, you, you decide that the, the target tasks. Mm -hmm. These target tasks are then based, broken down into pedagogic tasks where you build up the ability to do the target task. Right. <clears throat> Mike Long gives the example of uh, air hostesses. He did one for people, for, um, I don't know what they're called now, of course, I'm politically correct. They're certainly not called air hostesses. Um, <laughs> people that serve, people look after people on aeroplanes. Right. Um, Flight attendants. Yeah. Flight attendants. There you go. So there's a course of English for flight attendants. And one of the things that you identify is that they serve food and drink. Mm -hmm. So you look at what's involved in that and you actually record them and see what's going on. And incidentally, it's extraordinary when you do that, how much it varies from the sort of crap that you read in course books. You know, you, you call, good evening, madam, would you like me? You know, it's just, it, it, it's not like that. No. So anyway, um, you, the, the idea of the pedagogic start task is you start with a fairly simple one, like, for example, do you want tea or coffee? And you end up with a pretty complex one where somebody's had the salmon and, and didn't like it very much and would have, and so on. Right. So that's the idea that you, you develop pedagogic tasks which uh, are sequenced in such a way that they prepare students to be able to do the exit target tasks. Right. And, right. and the whole thing about that is, first, it depends very much on the materials you use. And here, one of the fundamental things is the idea of elaborated input rather mm -hmm. than simplified input. That's a bit complicated. But anyway, um, most of classroom time is devoted to students using the language to accomplish the task. Right. Rather than teachers talking to students about the language. Right. That it really is, you know, I, I had a terrible, stupid argument with some guy uh, uh, years ago on the block. He, uh, he said, Jeff Jordan's got the secret. It was rather like um, taking the piss from Doug, what's his name? Uh, Doug Adams, um, his, what was it called? The End of the Galaxy or something. Okay. <clears throat> um, do you know what I mean? You probably don't even realize it's a British thing. Anyway, mm -mm. Um, I said if uh, it'd be really important just to change the amount of time that teachers spoke. Mm -hmm. So if you could reduce that, Interesting. From 70 to 20, and you could get students talking 80% of the time, that in itself would have a significant effect yes. on the efficacy of the course. And he picked up on that and he took the piss out. I mean, of course, I didn't mean that at all. But, but, but the basis of task-based language teaching and of dogma is that the, the teacher is there as a facilitator. Right. Guide. And scaffolding, helping, mm -hmm. you know, um, not giving information, explaining, 
and all the rest of this. Right. Um, the, and that's really um, starts with the belief that students can work it out for themselves. You don't need, and nor is it efficacious to try to explain to students the difference between the present birthday and the past day. <laughs> You're wasting your fucking breath. You know, um, <laughs> so the best thing to do is get them at it. You know, right. And if you have questions, that's fine. The whole point of, you know, Long's famous focus on forms mm -hmm. focus on forms. He says, uh, course books focus on forms with a big S. Right. Uh, okay, today we're going to do the present perfect. Tomorrow we're going to do the present So you constantly teach these yeah. McNuggets. You're fish right. feeding right. feeding the seal the same different fish every that's day. Right. I, and they do that, you know, that, that's what... <laughs> What you know in Celta, even Delta courses, they say uh, they ask teachers, "What's the uh, what's the objective of your course?" Uh, sorry, of, of your, your lesson. lesson. Yeah, and the lesson plan had to say uh, consolidate them, uh, knowledge of uh, present perfect, you know, something yeah. like that. Now, in yeah. a in a task meeting, you wouldn't do that, right? You, you, any attention to grammar, vocabulary, uh, lexical chunks, uh, right. language, pronunciation is reactive. You don't, you don't start out with a plan to, to, to teach the present perfect. You start out with a plan to talk about um, uh, specific task like puncture or, or, or making or, a hotel reservation for example making a total yeah phoning up the complaining whatever it is and if as will certainly happen the teachers bump into um you know problems constraints right. they have vocabulary they don't know things they get wrong then with the emphasis still on meaning, mm -hmm. you do these quick sort of interventions, right. which Mike Long referred to as focus on form, um, in order to sort of help them along. Right. There's a, there's that's, the... that's such an important difference. Right. Between, you know, um, focusing on meaning most of the time, Keeping it on meaning, you know. Let, let's communicate. Let's get. Let's try and do what we can with our limited resources and push yeah. the resources and improve the resources through elaborated input and the rest of it. Right. And when, when necessary, a bit of help now and then in the right way. There's there's no doubt that it helps. Nobody's no, saying never teach grammar or any of that yeah. shit. What they're saying is. Don't make it um, so important. It's know? not the objective of the lesson. Teaching right. teaching grammar is not the objective of the lesson. You teach right. grammar if there is a need that you notice within the student trying to perform in the language. And it's yeah. interesting. There are a couple of things you said, Jeff, that I wanted to... I, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. The first one is this whole idea of how in a lot of CELTA courses and DELTA courses and other pre-service courses, there's always this idea, this concept, which is to, which is the name of our podcast as well, to reduce teacher talking time. It's it's obvious that you have to reduce teacher talking time because teachers are talking about the language all the time. But if they were taught to use 
um, task-based language teaching right from the get-go or even using an, an, an adaptation of a dogma um, teaching, I think there would be no need to talk about teacher talking time. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, and welcome to another interview with uh, Teacher Accelerator member and Jessica Diaz. Thanks for joining us today. And thank you for inviting me. When you have only one one-on-one lessons, one-to-one, there's a limit. You're going to have a limit of students. And even if you have like 20 students, that's too much. You're going to be overworked and overwhelmed. That's not something that I wanted. I'm not leaving school to be overworked with something that's going to leave me trapped again. That's, that's the thing of having your online course, because you can be at the beach selling your course. This being overworked took, took a toll on my mental health. So I was like, I want to have time to go to the gym, to spend time with my family, with my friends. And I wasn't able to do that. I wanted to help more students. And I also wanted to have more time for myself and also to develop myself as a professional because I wanted to read more. I wanted to take other courses. There's so much things uh, in the tap course Hey everyone, this is Andrew from Learn Your English. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Teacher Talking Time. You know, this podcast is just one resource that we have here at LYE to help you in your teacherpreneur journey. But I also wanted to speak about another one that we have, which is our Teacherpreneur Support Network, or TSN. TSN is a free community for emerging teacherpreneurs to plant the seeds of their businesses and watch it grow at their own pace. No rushing, no stress but with some light accountability to help you achieve what you're actually capable of. Specifically within TSN, you'll find free support from myself, Mike, and Leo to ask specific questions pertinent to your specific situation. You'll also find a free course on setting up the pillars to grow your business sustainably and avoid key mistakes that we made in our journey over the years. You'll also get access to all of our live workshops and live events focused on course and business design. More importantly, TSN is a guide to help you set up the foundations of your sustainable online business if you're really serious about taking that step. And it's all free to help you get moving. So to see if TSN is a good fit for you, you can join the conversation with other teacherpreneurs and us by clicking the link in the show notes below or just join from our website, learnyourenglish.com to get started right away. That's learnyourenglish.com. Once enrolled over there on TSN, you'll be able to work with us directly for free and be given the guidance to set up your business the sustainable way. No magic pills, no quick fixes, no million dollar promises. Just practical foundations that help you build the balanced business you envision for yourself. Better yet, you'll be able to collaborate with others on the same path as you. You know, we like to say that it's almost impossible to move forward unless we surround ourselves with others who are on the same trajectory as us. So if you're serious about challenging yourself and you really want to take that next step, head over to TSN and get started. Once again, you can click the link in the show notes or just join from our website, learnyourenglish.com. We hope to see you over there. And now let's get back to the show. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Angela from Columbus, Ohio, and you're listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. That's the first point. The second point, I see that as an issue, not just there, but also in Canada, where we have a lot of immigrants, a lot of refugees moving here. 
And a lot of them still struggle to do things in the language. And I'm going to give you a very quick example here. I'm teaching university course and EAP course. And one of my students said to me, Leo, I have a hard time communicating with my, my, my son's school teacher because I've never learned how to do that in the language. So that would be a very good example of what you said, a target task for a very specific group of people, new immigrants. They need to be able to go to the dentist and explain problems that they have. But of course, we're not doing any of that because we're still focusing on, hey, let's learn the difference between the past perfect and the past perfect continuous, which with all due respect, it doesn't really make any sense and it doesn't add anything to their linguistic repertoire. So so just to, to break it down here quickly, Jeff, the stages would be you start with a needs analysis to yeah. identify those, as you called, target tasks. And then yeah. you can classify them into different task types. Yeah. And then well, from there... Um, not necessarily task types. That's a kind of... Um, now we're into pedagogic. When you right. can... Um, so you could say, for example, um, let's take the... Um, uh, air flight attendants. Right. Um, you could say um, serving drinks or serving uh, food and drinks was a task type. In other words, it's broader than serving tea and coffee and serving bread and so on. Serving drinks, serving so, in general, yeah. yeah. So there is, Mike, I personally don't think it's terribly important, but anyway, Mike does it in his, in his thing. He says, you start with target tasks, you know, like um, serving food and drinks. Right. You can, if you want, break that down into subsections. Right. But once you've got that, that the idea of it is, what do these people need to do with the language? Mm. And in certain cases, of course, they don't even, they never need to open their mouths. You know, there are lots of people... <laughs> Uh, you know, who don't need to say a damn word. They're proofreaders or they're they're passing on messages, uh, you know, sitting at a computer. So it's really important to find out what they need to do, you know. And then, of course, it's so important, as Glenn Fulcher uh, says, um, um, you know, Glenn Fulcher is a, a... expert on um, testing and analysis mm-hmm. and assessment. He says, um, if, you, if you've got uh, um, air, air traffic controllers, mm-hmm. um, now you have to be damn sure that they can express themselves clearly. Yes, yes. Because if they, you know, and they have to understand, you know what I mean? Right. So according to what they have to do, you have to be very, you know, I mean, you get a, a Glenn Fulcher talks about false positives and false negatives. A false mm. positive is when you pass somebody you shouldn't have passed. And a false negative is when you fail them and they shouldn't have failed. Well, if you pass somebody, you know, in a, in a um, um, test of English that then allows somebody to, to go into a air traffic controllers down and speak English, um, the results will be death, disaster. Right. Whereas if you do it uh, in other cases, well, it, it, um, uh, nothing terrible happens. So that 
because that's one of the considerations. To what extent, <coughs> my, you know, in terms of um, uh, assessment, we talk about criterion um, related testing, not norm. Uh, mm -hmm. So the criterion is can you do it? Right. Like a, you know, when you do a, a driving test, can you do it? You pass or you fail? Uh, and Mike was very insistent that testing in language should be the same. Can you do it? Can you buy the ticket? Yeah. Can you uh, can you get the the seat that you need in the, on the plane? Or can you can you get them? It's here? real. It's oh, tangible. Yeah. The trouble is with that. Um, it it does matter. I mean, maybe you can do it, but it's charming. You know. But there was, there will be linguistic elements that you know you have to kind of test at times. Yeah. And the obvious example is is that of air traffic controller. <clears throat> so depending on the definition of, of the needs, then you know. Right. Okay, it, you know we don't worry much about if he says I went yesterday or I go yesterday. We understand him. Other times, if he says up or down. It's absolutely vital about whether the plane <laughs> right. smacks into the tarmac or, or takes off successfully. So, right. so, so you get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> Once okay. you've done that, the whole idea is you've got an idea of what these teachers, sorry, what the students in front of you need to be able to do with the language. Right. That's what important. What do they need to do? Right. Now, um, Neil and I have found that in often uh, the question is is, is quite um, uh, open. Um, mm -hmm. Either they're pre-service, so they don't know, you know, like like university students. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be a doctor or a, or a pop star, you know. Um, or even if they do have some idea, it's not terribly obvious what the, what the target tasks are. Um, and that's what we've dealt with a lot. Um, once you kind of allow some leeway in what the tasks are, right. then you, get, you, you, you go a bit more towards a dogma kind of thing where right. really what you're trying to do is just get people communicating. Now, that obviously depends on is that what they want to do yeah Pete you know in some quite an EAP you mentioned mm -hmm. now some academics you know very rarely have to talk in English they've got to read they've got to write they've got to yes. you know but they don't offer I mean if they do well then they need it but you can, you can imagine some EAP students who really are not that interested yeah. expressing themselves well if they're, they're not giving presentations they're right. basically they're writing mostly reading, reading and writing, writing exactly and, and and getting shit from their from their supervisor so and so on so that right oh, really what you get from this is um needs analysis is ideal mm -hmm. ideally we should always talk and, and that's why tblt is most successful when you have a stable group of people whose whose needs are, you know, like the journalists, for example. Right. Uh, Gilles Lebert has done that course for journalists at the University of Boston for 18 years. Wow. Now, there's some, there's, some, there's some heavy lifting at the start to finding the target task. He went out right. and he 
interviewed people, he, he, you know, and so on and so on. And he, a lot of heavy work, but now it's paid off because it, they've got it. And know? he's been they running the same people. course for 18 right. years, you said. So that's when you've got a stable group, and that's when TBLT is that now I personally think where TBLT is also coming in more and more is niche stuff. You know, yes, yes. I don't think we're going to have so many courses of 30 people sitting behind desks, you know, in front of a teacher. Right. I think we're going to have more and more online stuff. We're going to have more and more students, uh, sorry, teachers who have portfolios. Mm -hmm. uh, they are, uh, experts in photos. I agree. All that stuff. I agree. And then again, that's when TBLT comes into, what do you need to do? What's your problem? You know, and very often you get things like, um, I'm okay talking about the, uh, my products, you mm -hmm. know, I, I'm in uh, software development. Right. Where I suffer is, is going to dinner uh, afterwards. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I really <clears throat> find that. Okay, that's what we'll do. Exactly. We'll, we'll do that. We'll have a we'll have a bloody dinner party. Well, you know, and then you. Well, I like what you said. I like what you said about niche teaching, and I think that's yeah. the future of of language education. Really, one hundred percent. I think that's where we're going. Um, I don't think that general English, or as Mike Long likes to call it, English for nebulous purposes. I don't think this is going to be around for very long. Because right. it assumes that everyone wants to learn language for the exact same purposes. But the reality is that not everyone wants to learn languages for the same reasons. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the problem that you were tackling in, in the book. And one of the things you, you've talked about in the book since the publication of the book, have you noticed, um, Jeff, any changes in the ELT industry? Do you find that your critiques and your suggestions have been taken into account. How, how do you see that happening? No, I, no, I think <laughs> no. zero. I think um, partly it's me, you know, I think I'm fucking, you know. Um, but um, Scott is so much better at this. Um, Scott's terrific um, ability to, you know, remain calm and polite to people who I just you know, get hysterical about in two seconds. Um, Scott's <laughs> marvelous with um, Dogme, um, which of course is much more nebulous, but 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 has very, very sound principles behind it. And he told me recently, he said he's they're queuing up to do his course. There's tremendous interest in Dogme. Um, and I find that partly, of course, it's it's Scott and such a charismatic, and a, and a, and True. charismatic, but he's bloody good at. You know, I I've had rows with him. Uh, uh, I don't agree with everything he says um, at all, but I think he's bloody good, and I think he's been a tremendous, tremendous, far more successful than me. I've had it. All I've done is put people's backs up, <laughs> um, but he's actually push things on. He's actually made people, um, uh, you know, sit up and take notice. I think actually, though, TBLT is, its time is coming. I think it's on the cusp now. I think it's really... You think so? Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Do. I uh, think so, too. Um, you know, that, that um, um, various bits and pieces are coming out now. It's talked about more. Um, we're going to have to give way a bit. We're going to have to probably give way to a 
you know, a kind of weaker version than maybe we'd like. But the idea, than... the idea that we focus on meaning, that we look at, you know, we um, classroom activity or, 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 or the, you know, face-to-face -face stuff or, 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 or um, through whatever medium it is, should be based on doing things. That's right. what, you know, if you if you've got a tutor, you've got a private tutor, you know, you, I, I I read somewhere, um, what's his name? Um the the the, the leader of the um PP the party in, in, in Spain right doesn't speak English. Oh. And he's got himself an English teacher, and that teacher said, I, you know, he we're, we're gonna do, I think he actually said task-based, I I base my teaching on what he needs to do is on task. So wow. bravo. And that's what's happening, as, as, as we've said, more and more niche stuff, more and more people. The first thing that you should do, somebody phones you up and says, can you help me? You say, what do you need? Yeah. And that's what we'll do. Well, you have we'll, to solve a problem. Work on what you need. Yeah, so I, yeah. I think, I, I personally, I think my uh, influence has been very, I mean, it's, you know, very small indeed in terms of, um, you know, people um, adopting it. Yeah. Neil's good. Our the people who've done our course for SLB have been very influential and marvelous. They've been fantastic. The stuff they've done. Um, but they're they're kind of very senior position, which is good, of course, uh, and they're positizing that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, um, uh, as I say, um, Scott's doing a much better job of, mm -hmm. of, of, you know, sticking a spoke in the wheels. You know, yeah. he, he's so good at that. He kind of, one minute he's bloody teaching shelter, and the next minute, you know, he's coming up with wonderful things like, McNuggets, you know, playing he, playing in both playgrounds, I guess. He's good, he's good. Good for him. I love him. I think he's a lovely man and bloody good luck to him. And he is, there is no doubt that he is. Um no, I agree with you. I, I think the aggressive force. The teachers that we have worked with, the people that we have talked to, the people that listen to the podcast, everyone seems to be very much aligned with this view that language is not an object of study language is yeah. something that we yeah. we do we perform and i think the more we talk the more we have people like you coming on the show we had uh, nation come on the show also talk about the same thing that teaching grammar explicitly one grammar mcnugget after the other doesn't really work That's so right. Um, I wanted to, I mean, there's so many more things that we're, we can talk about here, but we're running out of time. So yeah. what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at, you will have to come back, Jeff, because we haven't talked about influencers in ELT. We haven't talked about the the the, the dichotomy native versus non-native speakers. And you will also be doing a workshop for us on SLA. So I will be announcing uh, yeah, this yeah. later. Yeah. But I wanted to talk about some of the questions that we have received. The moment, sure. the sure. moment I've announced that we had Jeff Jordan, my inbox was full. Um, a lot of people warning me. A lot of people saying like, "Oh, be <laughs> careful." I said, "No, no. I actually I've interacted with Jeff a few times on Twitter, and every time it has been pretty um, mild and and good. I actually like someone 
that is very critical. I think we need people like that in the industry, in, in English language teaching. So I appreciate that. And the first question I have here, Jeff, is actually from Sally. Okay. And Sally's asked me this, like, she wanted me to, to kind of like bring this up as some sort of a hypothetical scenario. So uh, I, I imagine that this person is a task-based language teaching committed uh, teacher entrepreneur who wants to make money by offering products and services such as TBLT-based course books, needs analysis surveys, materials bank resources, task-based performance tests, and things like that. And they want to do this at scale. The question then is, if successful, would this person risk becoming the fifth head of your ELT Hydra? Probably, yes. Um, one of the extraordinary, most prevalent things about um, capitalism and, um, is its ability to recuperate challenges. Um, Blank. Okay, so, so let's go back yeah, to that question. So, yeah, uh, you ask if if um, if a person that, yeah if a person like succeeds in in selling TBLT course yeah. books, needs analysis, and things like that, would they risk becoming the fifth head of your ELT Hydra? And, and my answer is yes, they would. Um, and I was saying that um, the ability of capitalism to recuperate. Um, and to reform when 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 attacked or challenged is extraordinary. So you get um, you know Mick Jagger is now sitting in the House of Lords, uh, <laughs> sitting in Lord's cricket gown. You know what was a threat is is, is sucked in, is invited in, is incorporated, mm -hmm. um, and that's always the danger that um, your radical idea becomes recuperated, becomes right. thin and becomes unthreatening and forms part of the, of the status quo that you're, right. you're criticizing. So, um, but the thing about TBLT <clears throat> is it's quite difficult to do that. What what the, it's no accident that course based ELT is so prevalent and the exams that we've got the high stakes exams are as they are and that the training courses are as they are and the, the school all of it is um <laughs> is a, is a perfect example of packaging a messy business is mm -hmm. is, is reduced to to something malleable, you know, um, that's what's that's the glory of it. That's why course books were such a triumph um, because they um, they commercialized it. They commodified what is a living process. Now, <clears throat> you try doing that with TBLT. Well, of course you can. I, I see now there are already books that I find disturbing. Really? Um, yeah, that you know. Um, sold by CUP and OUP, uh, task-based huh. activities. And what they are, of course, they're um, tagged on. They're, they're just supplements to, to a, a normal course. 
and they're non-threatening and 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 there was you know um that's the kind of thing the way that um if you say the um the course will start at nine o'clock and it will begin with it and then you say well it it can start between nine and ten and you know it's very easy to make concessions um and that's all they are so that's why mike was always so um anti um uh weak versions of tblt because in fact what they are it they're their synthetic syllabuses where TBLT is treated as a supplementary activity. It's a, it's a speaking activity. It's not, it's not true to the principles of TL, TBLT. And I think the same would happen if Sally said, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, and then I'm gonna do that. And I think what should what had happened in the end is right. that um you know that she'd be very enamored with all the money and success and status right. and all the rest you get. <laughs> right. Uh, just, just like uh, I have to say, Jack Richards and 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 um, and Noonan and the rest of them. Uh, that you know, well, we know this. That there is a moment in the progression of history where things are radical, and then they become uh, they become repressive almost. Right. You know. Right. Um, so it is a historical move. So I would say to Sally, uh, by all means, um, you know, push it, go as far. You know, if you if you can if you can make money out of it, well, well, fantastic. But I bet you, uh, if you're true to the kind of principles, especially the the sort of principles that Mike Long um, espouses in his 2015 book on uh tblt i i think she you know that that she'll pretty soon hit a wall where it's well it's either another hundred thousand in the bank or i back off yeah <laughs> it is good luck. it is interesting because you were talking about some of the potential limitations of task-based language teaching and i'm going to try to combine questions from two people one is from camilla linkova and I think it's a similar question to the question that Sally asked, which is this idea that um, how much do you think TBLT is catching on around the world? Uh, which countries do you find are adopting task-based language teaching? I know you've mentioned in Barcelona, there seems to be a movement there. Institutions, if do you think it's becoming more widespread? And according to her and according to Sally as well, it, it it seems that TBLT by its own nature is more applicable at more localized and community-based levels. So perhaps you could tell us more about that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, there was a meta-analysis. Uh, Bogowski, um 2019, I think. Mm um which um described tblt might long kept referring to it and um now i can't find the reference but in any case it was a meta study um a meta analysis of studies and mckay that's right um 2018 is it 2017 
is um, 2017. Yes. Now there, um, they showed that in all sorts of contexts, um, for example, uh, um, beginners and uh, Middle East, uh, Japan, places where they say you can't do that. You know, they'll never, they'll never take take on. There were more than I think it was fifty eight mm. studies, and the um, result was incredibly positive. Now you've got the reference there of the Gossipy and okay. Um, so that shows to, for those two questions, if you can give them that reference. Um, there's a north. See the way they used to do it. The way they used to um, value these things. <clears throat> there was this big you know, Norris and um, uh, 2001 study, very famous thing. They keep saying um, explicit grammar teaching is, 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 is terrific. And it turns out that, um, and, and there were three or four more in the same uh, decade. <clears throat> well, it turns out that what they were doing was they were doing this explicit grammar teaching, and then they test it half an hour afterwards, um, and the people would get the, the right, the, the questions right. Um, whereas if they didn't test it, sorry, if they didn't teach it, they did the test, they didn't do so, it was just ridiculous. Similarly, they didn't look at what happens to people who do communicative tasks. So in other words, a lot of the, you have to be very careful looking at the research, where TBLT has been introduced and tried sympathetically, mm -hmm. with not with a kind of, you know, we'll show, you know, with a sort of, not, you know, the idea we're going to show that this is rubbish. It has actually worked terribly well. Mm -hmm. And why the hell wouldn't it, really? Right. If you, the, the, the basis is get, it's student-centered and it's meaning-focused. Now, why wouldn't that be better than its opposite? So I would say, <clears throat> yes, there is evidence um, that it's, it's being taken more seriously. Um, there are still the huge problems now in China, for example, um, where, you know, huge market, that's where bloody Noonan is, Noonan sold them a bunch of textbooks and, and riches. That's just wasteful crap. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, they're still, their teachers stand up in front of the class and talk to them in Mandarin about English. And that's still what's going on. It's still going on in Korea. It's still going on in Vietnam. It's still going on in bloody uh, uh, Brighton. You know, or, or or Chicago, it's still a sort of ridiculous model. Um, so this it, it TBLT uh, has a huge time fighting. When you think TESOL and IATEFL, the membership of fifteen, uh, twelve, fifteen thousand between them. Mm -hmm. You know, they really will. You look at, you go in, what, what's the biggest thing there? The exhibition hall. What's the exhibition hall? How much TBLT do you see? 
Yeah, I, I don't see anyone talking about TBOT in North America. I, I, so. And they're the big players. Everybody's right. sponsored by them. The plenaries are theirs and so on and so on. So it's still a huge struggle against a very, very powerful mm -hmm. uh, set of people who, who, who are invested yes. in, in the way that things are going. Yeah. So I no. um yeah, it's you know it's happening, but it's it's um, it's a it's a huge mountain to climb, isn't it? it, it but we need soldiers on the ground, Jeff. We need soldiers on the ground. We have people yeah, yeah, who are who are think, still think, talking about it. Sure, we'll push, and I think, as you say, it'll take care of itself. The economic conditions, you know, the way neo-capitalism is developing. I think, and, and the way IT is developing, of course, I think we're we're ten years away from from a real shift in the way right. that people approach la learning uh, English as an additional language. I I already that, see that. I already see yeah. that, Jeff. And with that favors us. That favors yeah. And I already see that, Jeff, because I see the pendulum swinging in a different direction with a lot of teachers not accepting precarity and, and, and low right. wages working for schools. And then they realize, you know what, I can actually work for myself. I can create a course based on the very specific needs of exactly. a very specific group of people. Because again, the idea that, you know, um, you're 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 learning general English, and I keep talking about this. I honestly think general English will disappear, and we yeah. will have more like niche teaching, yeah. focusing on the very yeah. specific. And so this is a good thing. It's a good movement. Yeah. Um, Did you it, see it, that uh, marvelous uh, plenary at the IHFL? The guy by uh, Evan Friendo, uh, right? Oh wow! Now that was a. I'm really going to get him on the podcast. I'm going to well, get him on the show. Must, you must. I, I thought he would. I'm sure they didn't know what they were doing when they got him on. You know, I, I just thought it was wonderful the way he quietly got on there, and 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 they had no understanding of he was he was just drilling a hole in their bloody boat. You know, I mean that was just one of the finest death blows to to conventional I you know. ELT I've ever seen any and he did it so beautifully so you know I mean he just said we don't have we don't share your view we don't care you know about what you care about we're 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 way ahead of you yeah and I thought it was just marvelous and I and I think he's absolutely that's the way it's going yeah no I agree I agree and I see a lot of teachers doing that you know the collaboration between between the, the people who need people to do stuff, you know, the, the domain experts mm -hmm. and, and you know, that, all that stuff, yeah. the, the move away from a set course, a pre-planned yeah. course towards more spontaneous, mm -hmm. uh, as you need it, bite, 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 bit. They phone you up and they say, hey, dear, I need to, you, you got to help me with this. Okay, see you next. Week. Yeah, and, and I think in a way, Jeff, I think in a way, covid accelerated this process yeah. because i've seen yeah. a lot of teachers who lost their jobs you know were struggling during the pandemic and a lot of them decided to you know what i am not going to work for a bloody school that is going to be paying me 20 bucks an hour when right. i could actually create my own course 
designed yeah. to a specific target group of students. And I'm going to just, and this is kind of what we do. We've been trying to help teachers move away from, from precarity by saying like, listen, you can use task-based language teaching. You can use Dogmit to design your own courses and work with very specific groups of learners. So in a way, I think by having you here, by having people like Nation, Thornbury, and helping teachers and different people coming in, we're really trying to make task-based language teaching the reality, the norm for language teaching. Yeah, you um, get that language guy education. in. Get that guy, that, that, uh, the plenary speaker Yes, in. we're going to get him on the podcast as well. And I think, I think that's the thing. You don't even... It's not that you have to design your own courses. It has, it's like you, former, former uh, cooperative, a little group, yep. uh, you know, a band of merry men, women, uh, you know, and say, we're here flexibly to do whatever the hell it takes to get you wherever the hell it is you want to go. Mm hmm. And that's that's the sort of way it's going to develop. Yeah, know? yeah. Now we're experts. Um, you know, we, we there is linguistic knowledge that's important and, and valuable. You know, you do have a contribution to make. You can you can help these people along the road. You can help them get where they want to go much faster than mm -hmm. if they just uh, you know relied on their own right. uh, immersion in the. So you. We do have a contribution to make. It's just to, to to retune it, just redefine it. Yep. You know, I am yep. not going to teach you English. What I'm going to do is help you get do whatever the fuck it is you know you want to. You do. need to do. Yeah, that, that's yeah. that's what you know. And once that's it, it, you know, and you and then then of course it depends slightly on networks and who knows yeah. who and, and all that stuff. And then yeah politics comes in but um it's all interesting stuff and it's all um i mean i, I really do think we're, we're gonna see i hope so edifice collapse and we're gonna see something not exactly phoenix like but something <laughs> something, something better you know wait let's hope happen. so let's hope so i have one last question here before we wrap this up jeff and this is from <clears throat> peter peter fenton on on uh, twitter and he basically said that he would love to hear your views on the role of, we kind of talked a little bit about this, but your the role of output in second language acquisition. What do you think of Swain's output hypotheses? What about Henshaw and Hawkins' view that input builds the system and output helps learner access the system? Yeah. <clears throat> um, it's kind of... Um, uh, a little bit too yes of course of course um uh i mean when swain when she sort of came out with this output shit um you know as a reply to crash and it was such a <laughs> obvious thing to say you know crash was there it's all about input uh, and and swain says yeah, but you need output too. I mean, you who the hell could have, you know, objected to that? <clears throat> so, yes, 
as far as it goes, um, you know, I, I challenge you to find somebody to disagree with it. But that's the trouble with it. It's what we call a motherhood statement. You know, everybody agrees that motherhood's a great thing. Um, the, 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 the devil is in the detail. So to Peter, I'd say, yeah, first, in input processing is really the, 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 the key to SLA, to an understanding of how we learn a, a digital language. And here, um, I don't agree with Mike, I don't agree with Nick Ellis, I don't agree with emergentism. I think Susan Carroll is closer, Jack and Dolphin, people like that. And this is because I think it's essentially it's a question of passing. Um, mm. Apprehension is passing. Passion got it wrong. Passion got it completely wrong, as Susan Carroll says. Um, so that to me, the idea that um, output is skills development. That I mean, I I I, I take that. I think that's that, that's pretty mm. good. That's okay. That's good. That's I go along with that. Um, but it, it's a bit like any kind of skills development separation, you know, reading, writing, listening, you know, uh, which they do in textbooks. Um, much better to try and bung them all together. Right. <clears throat> because they are, <clears throat> of course, they can be necessarily separated. There are translators who don't give a hell. If they, and so right. on. But I, I, so my answer is yes, Peter. I agree, but I think it's such a kind of um, bland state. You know, it, it 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 ignores some very interesting questions about first what is input processing, which is mm -hmm. my main interest, and second <clears throat> um, is output really skills development i'm a i'm a little bit hesitant i mean i i get it and i and i suppose but i don't think it's quite that i think it's um i think it's kind of um dynamic and i think it's outputs part of input mm -hmm. and all that i'm getting yin yangy here right i think i need right. a joint <laughs> well we're coming to the end here <laughs> jeff and I have one final question. This is a question that I have for you. Yeah. And I mean, looking forward, we've we've talked about task-based language teaching, um, how we see a lot of this specialized language teaching, teachers building their own portfolio, building their own courses. Apart from that, now looking in now at the age of AI, where we find ourselves yeah. right now, yeah. what, what trends, what changes do you anticipate in the field of English language teaching? And, and how do you think teachers, especially those who listen to this podcast and who, who are thinking about building their own course, what, how should they prepare for, for those changes? Yeah. First, let me say, I don't think teachers should build their own course. Uh, don't build a course. Um, build a portfolio of things you can help people do. Right. Uh, you know, we don't want courses. We want responses to people's needs. Right. Um, but apart from that, I think that um, in 10 years' time, there will be machines where 
I say in English, um, uh, I need a double room and next to my wife needs a double uh, hard bed. And that comes through instantaneously uh, in Spanish to the reception. I think there are going to be huge developments in AI in that sense, where it will take away the need of a lot of people uh, to uh, um, learn English to to the degree that they do now. So I I think it's more so, and that that will be huge. If if you if you can just say. And, and it's coming so far, my God. I remember three years ago thinking how absurd the stuff they were doing was and how much they've come on, you know, the new GI chat stuff they're doing. Right. It's quite, quite amazing. I mean, there is a way to go and people exaggerate about it and so on. Incidentally, I must say here, um, I really like uh, um, Stuart. Who's the guy that I had going with Patsy talking about the bollocks? <clears throat> um, you had a guy on recently, um, Stuart, was it? What the hell was it? Um, mm. and, and you asked him some sort of general questions about the meaning of life. And I said, well, what the hell are you doing? Um, oh, and, I'm, I don't remember, but I will look it up here. Anyway. Never mind, never mind. You, you, you can, you I'll can find it. it. I'll find it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> He was very good about AI chat. You know, he he was. I thought he really. We 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 um, organized his things, and Scott was involved, and he oh, came. Sam, on. Sam, 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 yeah, yeah. Sam. He's going to do a workshop soon for us as well, so we're going to have him on the podcast. Good on that. Now, Sam, Sam was saying, "Hey, this is this is this is you know helpful to teachers." What I think teachers really need is help in elaborating input, for example, mm. and I think that'll do it for them. But essentially, I would say to teachers, um, uh, really forget the idea of, um, uh, of the levels from A1, from beginner to, to advanced, and placing them and help, you know, and just forget it. Forget all that business of that's the way you learn it. You probably, most people probably won't need to. What you do is you start from where somebody is, you know, and you, I mean, so I think needs analysis is just kind of absolutely fundamentally necessary to the future. You've got to find out what people want to do, you know, with the language. And once you've got that, then you bloody, uh, you, you 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 design the course. Mm-hmm. Maybe you design it meticulously, as I, or maybe you do it on the fly. It doesn't matter. What you're doing is you're responding, either meticulously or spontaneously or creatively or whatever. Whatever way you do it, you're responding to them. You're responding to their needs, what they want, and you're and you're putting them in the driving seat. And you're recognizing that your role is to help them scaffold the stuff, give them what you think will help them most. And 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 a lot of that, I would say, is get out the fucking way. 
don't uh, don't mm -hmm. show off that you happen to know what the third stupid condition is. You know, forget that. Get into their place. Do what you know. Understand their needs and 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 deal with them like that. And and I I honestly think that even in twenty years you'll have a job. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good luck. I won't be here. Hopefully, but hopefully, hopefully, you'll still see the rise of task-based language. Yeah, teaching. yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I think that would be great. Jeff, first of all, I wanted to say thank you very much for, for taking the time to actually do this interview with me. I've been wanting to have this conversation with you for at least two years, but it just never really happened. Um, we still didn't talk about the native versus non-native and your reply to Adrian Holiday. We didn't talk about influences in English language teaching which basically means you will have to come back on the show probably probably in 2024 to talk more about that, maybe see how things are by then. But I know oh, you're also going to be doing um, a session for us where you're going to be looking at second language acquisition and helping yeah. teachers design lessons based yeah. on that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, I appreciate your time. An and, absolute uh, pleasure. It's been very nice talking to you. And uh, uh, thanks a lot for having me. You've been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.